By the end of this podcast, you'll learn whether Kevin De Bruyne's return is the key to Man City's title charge and why Ten Hag still hasn't worked out the winning formula at Man United. Welcome to The Knobcast, a podcast giving City and United fans their weekly fix of football analysis and debate with a focus on banter rather than bias. In the long-awaited return, the post-Christmas, post-Gasky and Nobbins being ill comeback special, we'll be discussing... Kevin De Bruyne coming back onto the pitch, winning the game almost single-handedly for Manchester City. Was that a watershed moment in the Premier League? Is it lights out for the rest of the league? We'll be talking about the City-Newcastle game as well. And also Manchester United 2, Spurs 2. Is the existence of Ange, 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 Ange sort of dispelling the idea that Ten Hag needs a lot of time at United? Should he be doing better than he is doing should they have beaten Spurs. Why weren't they able to beat Spurs, who were the better team, who was the better team on the day? To discuss those questions and more, Manchester City fan Nobbins, that's myself, hello, how you doing? Is joined by my ever-present Manchester United fan and co-host, Gasky. Hello, matey. Hello, hello. Hello. It's been a hot minute, but we're back. It has been. I, I was confused then. What do I say? <laughs> but to be fair, long. we were both ill at different stages. Yes. And then there was Christmas and then there was, there was New Year's. There's, there's been a lot going on, hasn't there? So it's we're finally back in the rhythm. Normal service has resumed. Exactly, yes. Exactly. exactly. Speaking of normal service, Gasky, another day, another <laughs> match week where United don't win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it now. I'm used to it now. <laughs> yes, indeed. So it was Man United 2, Spurs 2. Um, before we sort of like dissect the whole uh, Ten Hag thing that I, I I teased at the start, let's just talk specifically about the sort of like the game itself. For you, what were the main talking points? It was obviously at Old Trafford, but it did feel at times like United were the away team. Yeah, there was obviously it was a brilliant start, and I thought even I felt the first half was a good game of football. You know, it was end to end. Both teams were offering different things, and it was it weren't too bad. Obviously, Spurs were on top most of the ninety minutes. But I felt on the first half, it did seem like it could go either way. It wasn't too bad. It was a cracking finish from Hoyland, mm. I thought. Great, goal. great week for Shows yeah. what he's capable of doing and the amount of power he can generate with barely any backlift. Brilliant side sorry, of the striker. He, he is, sorry, he is right-footed, isn't he? No, he's left-footed. Oh, right, sorry. Oh, okay, yeah. no, that's, that's strong. I think that's a, Yeah, that's his strong foot. Sorry, didn't know that. Carry on. Um... So, you know, cracking goal. It was a good start. They were playing, they were playing you know, not too bad. But then, obviously... I felt it was a good corner for Spurs' goals. I'm not going to moan about anything. People are saying, oh, no, I should come for it. How? Through that crowd. It was a great corner and it's a goal. I think, personally, you just got to hold your hands up and be like, yeah, good goal. And then, yeah, okay, they nicked the lead at half-time. Shouldn't have really been a lead, to be fair, for United. Mm. Couldn't even hold on to that for a minute. And then, after that, it did feel like the away team. The fans were quiet. There was, and I don't think I've ever seen Old Trafford that quiet, to be honest. And it was just a bit dead. And then they just couldn't get a grip of the game. When when you're playing Ericsson from minute one, who can't keep up in these intense games, modern football just isn't for him. You just can't do it. So, you know, Maynard isn't a fast midfielder. You need legs next to him. Or you need to let him get further up with a defensive player behind him. You can't play that defensive role in such an intense game when you've got Ericsson there. But then Ericsson comes off for McTominay, who also doesn't put a shift in. So it just that's one of the major issues he has there is not having that legs at the like the number eight position. Because but Bruno does a lot of running around and he wastes him when he's having to drop so deep 
it just completely weights him. Like you look at the periods under Ollie when he was scoring loads, Bruno, he was that number 10 running in the box. Kind of what McTominay does under Ten Hag now, which is what you want him to do. But they just lack that player in the eight position, which he's trying to get Ericsson to do, which he can't with, you know, his age and he's, you know, you know, he's just slow. Mm. But which Manu potentially could do. But the issue is I just don't like Bruno playing there just doesn't work because he's not that player getting the box, getting the goals. Because we saw right at the end, McTominay just he's not reliable enough. And he isn't good enough. And I think that comes to the whole like your original question about Ten Hag style of playing and basically putting him putting into shame really because he yeah okay he had his whole back four back but his midfield was completely different to what he had on the little run at the start yeah. and he could still play how he wants to play and that's on the back of eight months if yeah, that if that so I think the major issue is he hasn't. Ten Hag hasn't been able to strip down the squad. I don't know if it's down to him or not having the funds to be able to swap the players over, but half of that team aren't good enough to play this style of football and it needs completely stripping down. And if that means, you know, these massive wages players leave, offer them smaller contracts, they don't accept it, get rid of them, it needs to happen because the whole team needs stripping down, as we know. So simple as that, pretty much. Yeah, it, it was a very, very unusual game as as we've alluded to, Mainu, I felt very sorry for because I really rate Mainu as a player. He was just left so isolated. And he just had no support around him. And it's like, he is a very good player. Yeah, but he can't do the whole job on his own. He needs some support. There was just a massive disconnect between the midfield and literally everything else. There was just no sort of... I couldn't... I, I, I still can't figure out what like the build-up structure is at Man United. It just seems to like change week in, week out. I know from like a good way where like, you know, City don't always play the same way, but I can at least figure out what I think they're trying to do. And and I can also try to understand, right. So firstly, that's what they're trying to do. Secondly, that's why they're trying to do it. But with Ten Hag, even if I can get to the point and United, even, even if I can get to the point of figuring out, right, this is what they're doing. The next step of why are they doing that? What's the benefit of doing that? I haven't quite been able to figure out yeah. yet. And it just... Again, it just seems to be a repeating pattern over and over and over again. I, I can't recall which game it was. Uh, I, th- I think it may have been in the... I think it was against Copenhagen, actually. And I, United actually lost that game. But up until like, the red card, I thought United were playing really, really well. And it was a lovely, lovely build-up plan. I could be like, right, okay, this is what they're doing. And this is what they're doing. And I thought that was going to be sort of like a springboard to then act upon. But then like, the next game, I can't, and can't remember the game, maybe against like Everton or Sheffield United, whoever just went backwards and they reset and they went back to, you know, playing like the long yeah. ball hoof game and having no, just having a really disjointed team. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't understand. No, no do I don't I. know. <laughs> no, do I. it is, it's, it's just, it's just, it, it bemuses me really. I just don't have a clue what, like you said, the game plan is. Usually if there's a game plan there and you, like, you look, use Ange for example, what we were talking about. That Chelsea game, okay, it was suicide for him to keep playing that style, but he stuck with his way of style, even though he was down to nine men and you're going to get battered. But that was the exact same style that he played now. And that match was, what, four months ago or however long it was ago? Yeah. And he's played the same way constantly. Whereas United will have the odd game where, you know, like for example, I do think they don't, they look, deep, they look okay when they are on the front foot and they're pushing teams back. But, it happens once every match in the first 15 minutes and that's all you're getting from them. And then after that, it just goes 
they just they just get swallowed up and then they don't know how to get out of it when a team does it to them. Yeah. And that's a big issue. So 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 if, if you and I have both sat here and gone, we don't know what Ten Hag's trying to do and it's clearly not working regardless of what he is trying to do, at what point do you just uh, we know it's not ideal to even entertain ideas of sacking him because you know that is that just repeating an endless cycle you know you're going to add a different manager with different ideas different players but like uh, at what point do we actually just go that yeah that's all bad but it's actually becoming a detriment long term like if 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 there is actually no solution in sight um we've you've We've rightly pointed out the fact that you know, Ange, even when he had injuries to Madison, Van der Ven, Romero, even when they had to play zero centre-halves, there was still a clear identity. You knew exactly what they were trying to do. And I appreciate that Ten Hag's had injuries to deal with, but Ange has sort of blown that idea and argument out of the water in a way, don't you think? Well, yeah. Well, yeah but if you look at these two lineups, for example, uh, Ange, okay, was missing the core of his midfield, but let's be fair... One thing I will use for um, in you know respect to Ten Hag is the quality that Ange could put on the pitch, and this is quite mad thinking the amount of money United spent compared to Tottenham on the bench to fit those same profiles was pretty much identical. Like Benson Core playing in that midfield and Oliver Skip compared to Bissouma and Saar, they they're all the same type of player, you know. Whereas at United, it's like. You play Manu, who is a good passer, but he isn't that defensive aspect. Ericsson, who's similar to Bruno, but a bit slower. They just, and then McTominay, who, honestly, I don't know what he's good at. And they all are completely different styles. So if one gets injured, you're going to have to, not, you're going to have to completely change what you're doing. And mm. that's one of the big issues for me. There is, like you said, there's no identity because there's no, there's no common ground of players. They don't offer the same thing yet. And that's my issue with, when you look at Ange, where he is literally come into Tottenham and changed, I think, seven of the 11 lineup from the previous season. Whereas, you know, Tanaga's done, spent his money with the players he wants, but there's still such a core that are still there that are not good enough. Mm. You know, it was even like, like Martinez came on and I thought, you know, he straight away was bullying Richarlison and that is what they've missed for a long time and a bit of ability on the ball. So that's great to have back. But then again, I still look at, like Wan Bissaka, for example, I know he was out of position. He's not good enough to play for Manchester United. Delo, yeah. he's very hit and miss. He's not bad at the inverted role, but he's so hit and miss. You don't know what's you know. Whereas you look at Tottenham, who have got Poro and Udogi, who have been there for, but Udogi's been there for what six months, and Poro's been there for his second season. Look like they've been playing the Premier League for years because they've got an identity of how they want to play, and these fullbacks exactly what the Ange needs. So what what needs to happen is if you know, Ineos are coming in next month and they, you know, they're full on like, okay, we want, this is what Ten Hag wants to do. We need to give him it. Then we need to see, um, if he does keep his job, we need to see a massive list of outgoings of these players and then a massive list of incomings and have that first season that Arsenal and Arata away. It's a bit messy, but you get an idea. So, Gasky, let's say, for argument's sake, you are Mr. Ineos. You have just been knighted Sir Jim Gasky, yeah? So Jim Gasky, like okay, that. right. So you are Sir Jim Ratcliffe. So you, you are basically, you know, you know, the big cheese at United, whatever. So you come in, and obviously, you know, you, you're going to have a. But the season ends. I, I don't know what position United finish. I don't know what's fair. Well, say, well, they, well, they, well, they're now eighth. So let's say yeah. they finish in the position now. Yeah, uh, let's say sixth. Let's be generous. Right, sixth. Right, so okay. they just miss out on Champions League football. They're still in the Europa League. Okay, so you sit down and uh, w- w- with Ten Hag. 
And what sort of like questions are you asking of him, basically? Because as an outsider looking in, I think you've got to be asking the question of why, why should we keep you? So what sort of like, basically the question I'm asking is how how do you think Ten Hag can potentially turn this around? Do you think it's because you obviously made a point of, you know, the squad issues. Do you think it is simple as just give him another transfer window, try to get rid of some of the deadwood, i.e., you know, McTominay, whoever, and then give him another crack at the whip in terms of like maybe half a season and then see what the state of play is? Uh, or, or, do you, or do you see like a different solution? Like Basically, like if you had Ten Hag in front of you and, and you were the main man, what would what assurances would you want, like in, in respect of like signing, style of play, whatever, to turn this around? Well, yeah, to start with, he's got to then sell it to Ineos, which I assume he's already spoken to and he's already they already have an idea of what he wants to achieve. But then you also need to come to that agreement of, for example, these... Ex- X players need to go because of wages to start with, because they need to sort the business model out first. Because having players on ridiculous money is not a solution unless they've earned that. So to start with, that needs starting. But then you need to come to the agreement of is this player fundamental for what you need? For example, him bringing McTominay on so often, who I think most fans can see why is he pre- obviously? I guess he comes on with injuries. I understand, mm. but. What, playing him so much when other players were fit, why? Yeah. Because that example, that one example for me is, are you playing him because of injuries and because that's the position you need to bring on? Or is it because you believe you think he's a good player and he's, he'll work? Because to me, we've had a list of managers now at United where they've had trust in these same players and the same outcome has, has you know, there's been the same outcome. And... The, that you've got to look at the players there because you've had so many different aspects and it's not been the same. And the Rash was another example of that. You know, you don't, you just don't know with him. And with the wages he's on, I think it's a better option to sell that player. Yeah, really. At, at some point, there needs to be a conversation, especially if like the whole point is they come in and the idea is to tear the club. Uh, you, you know, you know what I mean, like, like from the, yeah. the ground up, whatever, whatever the term is, you've got to look at that and go right from, from a purely business perspective. Right, the footballers are assets; these are our assets. Which of these are our most quote profitable assets in respect of like you know performances on the pitch? And I'm not trying to have a go at Rashford, but it's it's fair enough to say that his performances do not warrant his wages, you, you know, yeah. he, 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 if you're looking at it from a business perspective, he's sort of like a net loss at this point in, in that respect. Um, so I think, you, I think to be honest, you do have, with the likes of Rashford, I don't know who, are, who the other top owners are. I think Varane is another one who's on like 300 plus him, K or think, something insane. I think it's him, Varane and Casemiro would be your top three. Yeah. And, and you've got to ask serious questions like Casemiro as well, who's like bit, been like bad this season. Uh, Varane's had his issues, especially with injury. You've got to have that conversation and go, right guys, Serious questions need to be asked here. Either assuming they don't have like this unbelievable, uh, you know, uppage in output and like performances, I think you've got to say you're you've, you're either going to try to get rid of you, or again, no idea how realistic this is, or you're going to have to like sign a new contract, but to significantly reduce wages. Yeah, which is incredibly unlikely to happen because in any business, it doesn't matter how much you're on, you don't want to take be, less let's money. Let's be fair. You look at. Varane and Casemiro are the two where I would say you've earned in your career the wages you're on. Mm. But it's one of them where do you want to play for United on less 
or do you want to just keep earning the money you want to earn? And really, whichever one they pick, you can't be mad at because mm. at the end of the day, they've earned what they've earned. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's there's got to be this clearing of deadwood, as you say, getting rid of players who who are not earning their keep. It's not just Rashford. That, that's just one example because he's one of the United's top earners and he's under, underperforming quite, quite, quite to, to a significant degree this season. Um, obviously, that's easier said than done. Players aren't just going to want to accept wage uh, decre- uh, decreases, but it might even come to the point where it's like, right, we've got to totally reset the culture of this football club. Too many. I, th- I think it's fair to say, Di Maria is a prime example. Too many players look at United as a cash grab opportunity obviously yeah. you know he played for a brilliant prestigious club but fundamentally I don't know how many United players in the past or whatever genuinely signed for United thinking I'm going to go there and I'm going to be the guy to win United Premier title for the first time in like yeah. 10 years whatever I think a lot of them are looking at that and basically going this is a pretty easy gig I'm going to get paid loads of wages and on a massive contract they're not going to be able to get rid of me and if um, unless you break that cycle, in the same we've spoken about this before with United tax, you know, like in the selling and buying of players, yeah, if you don't, there is. If you don't break that cycle, you might have to suffer short term. You might have to like get rid of some players, maybe like you know do what United are really known for, promote some uh, you know younger academy players, maybe build a team around the likes of you know uh, Maynu, Hoyland, whoever you know the y- younger players who aren't necessarily on a mental amount of money. And sure, you might suffer short term, but in the long term, which I assume is in Yosarinas for the long term for a project. That might end up being the the best scenario. I don't know what you think about that, Gasky. Well, well, I agree with that. That is exactly what they need to do. When you look at, for example, we, you know, we both we spoke about Mainu before, how good he can be. And Ganaucho, I'm still hit or miss with him. Like, I think he could be a good player, but I think he's better on right wing based on what I've seen in the last few weeks. And then obviously, Highland up front, you've got these young players who want to play for United, which is the, which is a good start. Martinez at centre back. Give him a centre back partner who can learn, who they can teach each other off and get used to it, you know, and work well together, and then go from there, you know, get get those those expensive wages away. That'll save you some money, and then even like you say, like bring in a few players, and then yeah, promote promote a bit of youth just to fill the numbers in, and then throughout the transfer windows, you just keep adding to it, yeah, you know, and then okay, you might have a couple of years where it is a bit oh iffy. But come three or four years down the line, you'd be you know you'll be comfortably fighting for top four and titles like Liverpool, like potentially Arsenal's going to be. You know that that's what needed to be done ten years ago. Yeah. But because the club was being run by business people, it was all about if we sign Paul Pogba for ninety million and offer him loads of money, we'll get that money back in shirt sales and all that stuff. Mm. Yeah, and you get more money back if you go and win games. Yeah, it's it's all and it's all well and good. You know, people might counter that and go, "Oh, but you know, in the classic Gary Neville, this is Manchester United," and they might go, "Oh, you know, different expectations." I'm sorry, but like, what have United been doing for the past ten years? Like, basically nothing. So, what? And and that's been going nowhere. So it, it's not really a point of, oh, you know, we can't afford to not be competing for the last for like you know five years, whatever. They haven't been competing for ten years. So what? What's another few years if it means that you can reset the culture of the club? And long term, get it right for a better future. Surely it's better to suffer now to prosper exactly. prosper going forwards. Especially when you've got this new new ownership model in place and they're gonna want to put their foot in the door and be like, this is what we're gonna do. And it's gonna be a it's gonna be a very big summer for United. I know obviously we'll wage off it, but because 
you've got to see these ins and outs have to be big and they have to try and get as much as possible for it. Mm. Simple as that. Absolutely. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, the United Spurs no, game? Gas I think I've got, got enough of my rant out. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, yes, uh, United dropping some more points in the Premier League, but they go back above Chelsea. So it's not the end of the world. Martinez, Martinez coming back. That's pretty big. And uh, I know that we shit on McTominay a lot and rightly so, but he did nearly win it for you in the last minute. That would have been so funny. Yes, but he missed. It was, that a, just yeah, that, him up. It was a terrible header. Like he should have it scored. Was, this is what I mean. But then if that was, if he was in these Scotland colours, he'd put that in the top corner. <laughs> it was a great ball by Ganacho, though, wasn't it? To be fair, it was it fantastic. Was, it was. Uh, speaking of great balls, uh, me, no, uh, Kevin De Bruyne and his unbelievable crossing ability and his game-changing ability um, City were trailing 2-1 Kevin De Bruyne comes on in space like 10 minutes scores a goal from outside the box does does what Kevin De Bruyne does what Kevin De Bruyne does and then in the 90th minute ridiculous ball to Oscar Bob um, that goal was just I'm sorry but just the pass was just so simple he made it well it wasn't even simple he made it look simple and then just the fast feet from uh, Bob was oh going. yeah that, that, that was gorgeous just um, just before we talk about like the game generally and De Bruyne. I just want to touch on Oscar Bob because he's he's a child. He's like 20 or whatever. You know, like um, I think we signed him when he was like 17 or whatever. He's technically an academy graduate. Um, but the fact that he was asked to come on when City needed a goal against Newcastle. The fact that Guardiola brought him on against Aston Villa when we were nil-nil just surely screams of like trust from Guardiola and also like I don't even know like if it's like fair to say yeah this is an academy player I don't know how much you've seen of Bob this season Gasky but every time he's been on the pitch for me he's just been first team quality it's not even a case of oh yeah he's good for an academy player he's just good just like generally and I think that goal sums him up like that quick feat on that, yeah, on that goal yeah exactly like if you when you look at like the way that cities run and the way that they let all these youth players go, the ones that stay, it it's an example of the trust that Guardiola has for the for them players. Because if if they're not even in a sniff of letting him leave, clearly there's trust there, and clearly, you know, Guardiola thinks that he is good enough, which he is. He's very very good. And who like, I'm not sure who else was on the bench, but to obviously get on over probably some of the first teamers is is brilliant and. He's proved his worth from his movement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I did like Cole Palmer at City, obviously. I'm a, a, you know, a, in an ideal world, he would have stayed. But pa- Palmer's a better player than Bob. That's fine. But at no point, like last season or whenever, would Guardiola look to his bench and go, right, Cole, you're on. It, it it would never it would never happen like in a game yeah. where you know you needed to win. Palmer would only ever come on or start if if like the game was over or if it was like you know a dead rubber in a Champions League or if the Premier League had already been won. So the fact that Bob is being asked to come in in these really crucial moments in in a season where you you're in a very tricky title race, like you've made it very hard for yourself. I I, I just thought that I just screamed of trust and also <clears throat> maybe it explained why City ultimately were happy reasonably happy to let Palmer go because clearly yeah. Guardiola s- seems to rate him higher he, he than knew what, Palmer. He knew what he had. Yeah. Yeah. And 
again, Palmer's been unbelievable this season. Obviously, obviously currently a better player than Bob. Maybe Bob just fits Guardiola's view of what a player should be more so than yeah. Palmer. I'm not but sure. What will be interesting for me will be when a City were a fully fit squad in a similar situation. So Haaland's up front, for example. Does does he come on over Alvarez? Or does he come on with Alvarez? Mm. Does that position disappear? Or does he still have that kind of trust? It's it's tricky, isn't it? Because like, Bob can... Like, Bob's come on the, the left wing. He came on the left wing at Villa and he came on the left wing at, um, at Newcastle. He's actually more of a, a 10. Like, he's more of a, like an interior player. But he can play on the right and he can play on the left and he can play at striker and he can play at false nine. So I think I think that's maybe also why Pep loves him because he is this utility player who, he, again, he can basically throw him on anywhere and he knows that Bob's just going to be brilliant. Again, left wing is not his position and yet that's when he was, that's where he was brought on against both Villa and Newcastle. I know City lost against Villa, but Bob actually played quite decent again, again against Newcastle. Again, I know Trippy is not going through a good run of form, but a very experienced right back. Pep's gone, right, Bob, come on, have a go. And ultimately it's, it's, it's paid off. So yeah, it, it yeah. will be, it will be in, interesting to see like, you know, how Bob will be utilized. I don't think he's going to be a massive player this season. Like, look, he's still, still a child at the end of the day, but it is interesting. It's not just the minutes, it's the nature of the minutes for me, if that makes sense. Again, like Palmer would have played more, but the games didn't really matter as much. These aren't irrelevant games. These are games, these are like must-win games. And, and Pep's like, yeah, Bob, you're ready. Go on. Yeah, so I, I just thought, fantastic. So shall I tell you what I, I also really liked about that goal, Gasky? Obviously, we'll talk about the De Bruyne ball, De Bruyne, etc. The fact that Bob definitely could have gone down because Trippier makes contact yeah. with him and Bob could have fallen over, you know, dived, whatever, but he definitely could have, would have been within his rights, whether it would have been given as a penalty is another matter, but he could have quite easily gone down. But I just love it when players stay on their feet and then are rewarded. Something looks like so that. much better than getting a penalty and having all these discussions of he's dived, shouldn't be doing that at his age, blah, blah, blah. And instead it's like, look at that fantastic goal he scored. Yeah, just the confidence to be like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I'm I'm going to beat Trippier and then I'm going to... So I can't even figure out how his brain worked. I don't know that what you quickly. call it. Like he's just gone from one foot to the other round the keeper's hands. Yeah, whilst also shooting at the same time. It was just like yeah. brilliant. Uh, speaking of brilliant, Gasky, obviously now I've got to talk about uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Jurgen Klopp himself said that, you know, the Premier League is shaking at the prospect of Kevin De Bruyne coming back. You mentioned just before we recorded that lots of people are saying that, oh, well, the league's gone already. Um, How, he's also been out for a while, but like how impressed were you with his performance? Not just in a vacuum, but also given the context of the fact that outside of the Huddersfield cameo, he hasn't played since August. It, it's, it's that is evidence of a one of the best players we've witnessed in the Premier League to come to come back in. It's, it's and it probably in one of the most hostile away grounds you can in a team that's literally put presses with the crowd and to come on and basically just completely dictate the game to that the movement for his goal was brilliant. They were pressing the pressing. I can't remember who has that ball, had the ball, and he's just gone round the back of them into this perfect position, and he's just side footed it in the bottom corner, like so. 
like knowing full well, I don't need to put parallax. I'm just going to put it in the bottom, right in the bottom corner, keep it reaching it. He's just brilliant. And and then the way he basically drops back for the ball, and then just plays this absolutely sublime ball over the defense to just to drop on Bob's foot. Mm. It's it's just fantastic. Yeah, I remember. You just sorry, go on. I was going to say, no matter who you support, you've just got to hold your hands up and be like, he's one of the best. Oh yeah, hundred percent. There was a just a, a really interesting like comment by by Bob after the game. He basically says something along the lines of, "I made the run, I made that run because I knew that De Bruyne had the ability to find me. No other player at City, maybe even in the world, w- would even think about." Well, first of all, would think about making that ball and then secondly, be able to execute and, and see that ball uh, that, that he did. It's the, tr- it's the trust, isn't it? That That's what makes a good team. When when you know a certain player picks up the ball and you know, if I make a run, he's going to find me, then you get you get used to that. You make Whereas runs. when you're not making them passes, a player's just going to go, I'm not going to run because he ain't going to pass it. You know? Yeah. And you get, and players remember that, and then there's definitely a thing in there where players just go, "I'm not going to pass to him because he's not going to give it. He's not going to play it through." So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's so, so from a city perspective, that will hopefully um, you know make us even more dangerous and unlock our forward players even more. Um, because again, it's like especially when Holland comes back, it'll be like, "Oh, and I'm, I'm not that he stops making runs, but he'll now know right. I've got." both Foden and De Bruyne to hit these passes to me now. Amazing. I'm going to make even more runs, um, if, if anything. Um, yeah, he's, and I know it's an overused term, Gasky, but aura is what I would describe with De Bruyne. He has, he, he seems to lift the players around him, like City's levels in general also just went up a bit. It's almost yeah. as if like they had something to prove. It's like, wow, we've got an all-timer on the pitch. We, we better step up now and not let him down sort of thing. That, that's exactly yeah, what they did. It builds that, yeah, it builds that attitude, doesn't it? Of when when he's on the pitch and what he can do, it's like players don't have to have. He, he takes all that pressure, and he's happy to have it on his shoulders. Everyone else, just go and do what you can do, and I will do this this bit. You know, mm-hmm. and it just it allows all the others on the pitch just to go and play what they're good at, rather than you know Bernardo Silva's example. Bernardo Silva's one of the best in the box. He's brilliant, but it allows him to keep doing that rather than I'll go and look for the ball and I'll try and do something with it. You're not that guy to do that. De Bruyne is. You go and do what you're good at. Mm-hmm. You know, and it saves, it saves have these trying to figure out who can do it instead. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I, I loved how like he and Foden kept sort of like interchanging on the right wing. Not, neither played, they didn't play in midfield together. As I say, Foden was sometimes on the right, De Bruyne central but then swap round like Newcastle's defence and midfielders didn't know what was going on. Makes it, it's really tricky to defend against when players keep switching around like that. Um, but it wasn't all clean. It wasn't all clear sailing for City. I thought overall, don't know what your take was, Gasky. Outside like stuff like the five to ten minute period at the end of the first half, which we'll get into, you know, when Newcastle got their two goals. Yeah. I thought it was an unbelievably dominant display by Man City. Pinned them back. Um very minimal number of chances outside of that outside of that period, which I, I've alluded to. Um, City may be back to their best question mark. However, as we've seen this season, even like in games where I thought City were better, like against you know Spurs, Liverpool, etc., really weird defensive errors and mistakes keep creeping in to um, uh, City's game. Kyle Walker, 
spoken about him many times. For me, he's at fault for both of those goals. Does not close down his man either time. The second goal, the first goal, his positioning's totally off, plays everyone on side, really weird, then proceeds to give uh, Isaac a load of space. Fantastic goal by Isaac, obviously, unbelievable. But he, he gives him so much space. And then the second one, he is... He jogs, so Gordon's like running. Diaz points to Walker to say, "Go get to go to him." And Walker's like jogging, and then decides to up the speed. And it's a, it's a carbon copy then, of the and first then he goal. Lets him, and then he lets him. He's going to put it on his right, yeah. and he just lets him put it's, it on his right. It's the, it's the exact it, same yeah. goal. I just he is like oh, he puts it on his right and puts it in the bottom, puts it in the corner. Literally identical, and it, it is it is these issues where it's like. A team's a counter-attacking. It's like, look, you cut, you, you've got four defenders there. You're comfortable defending this. And you've just got one defender who decides, I'm not going to be at the same intensity as everyone else. And then they just cut in and shoot. Why do you think that is? Because, I mean, you know, he wasn't unbelievable last season, but he wasn't bad last season. But this season, it's like nearly every... I mean, we, we know about the offensive issues, but defensively, you could at least sort of half rely on Walker to be competent defensively. Just so many errors this season. I, I, I just, is it just sort of like a, you know, like a Fabinho and Fernandinho thing where in their last season, there was just this massive decline. Um, is it almost like a confidence thing? Because when it was the Club World Cup, he actually came out and really bizarre interview. He said something like, um, oh, I see all the comments and people should like, people got short memories and basically didn't take the criticism very well. Yeah. What what can we put it down to, if anything? I think I think just that basically. I think I think it could just be like you said, performance deteriorating. You know, he's getting on a bit. Legs probably start to go. And is it time for him to be replaced? And maybe it's that fear as well of this could be me. This could be it. And then just having them doubts. And then just poor, like you said, poor positioning. And I think. He's been unlucky that every single time it's become a goal. Because mm. like if it's a shot and he gets saved, you forget about it. But every time he's making errors, now it's ending up in a goal. So it's yeah, it, yeah it's becoming an issue where if it wasn't for the offensive side, City wouldn't be where they are. Yeah, and 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 the other issue is that even with De Bruyne back, the City players have voted him captain. So it's not even like you can drop it. I mean, you, you can really, but it's it always creates a weird political situation in the dressing room if you decide to drop your captain. So it's not even like a really easy case of, I just like won't play him anymore. He's basically sort of been put in a position where he's almost got to play him because as I say, otherwise, it's like, why are you dropping your captain? Yeah. Oh, that's a bit weird. What's going on? And then they might create the dressing same, room. It's similar with Newcastle with Trippier, isn't it? It's like, he's not going to not play. Mm. Even with the poor performances. Yeah, it's just a really weird situation. Thankfully, it didn't matter. And as I say, it was only really, it was only that period because City were coasting. I thought City were playing very good football, pinning them back. One mistake, okay. Five minutes later, it's the same mistake. And then Newcastle had another few counterattacks in yeah. the end of the first half. Second half, we absolutely smothered them. That's fine. I thought Walker, to be fair to him, played well second half. But yeah, just got to stop allowing these really weird um, uh, goals to keep... keep keep creeping in otherwise you can't always score three goals in a game you know what I mean if you keep scoring we said said this about Arsenal last season didn't we it it will come back and bite you and look at this season now they're losing games where they're going behind and they can't pull it back yeah so it it doesn't work every match and you will they will realise that teams will come and go in front a couple of goals ahead and then it will it won't come back yeah 
Absolutely. Something has got to be done. I do think Kevin De Bruyne coming back will fix a lot of those issues. But from an individual level, some of these players do need to uh, switch up a little bit uh, for sure. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss about the City game, Gasky? No, I think we uh, hit a nail on the head there. City, City are back. As City say. are back. Yeah. How, how How funny is it that De Bruyne is coming back? I feel Again, we, we discussed this before. I feel like barely any other Premier League player has been spoken about in this way where it, it, it comes back from injury and people are like, oh my God, I'm terrified and coming back. Oh my God, that's the league gone. Like, as far as I'm aware, I, I there's never been a player remember, like that. I can't remember there has been one. That's such an influence. It's, it's we may have to, tell you what though, by the time he leaves City, we may have to have discussions about the greatest Premier League player, the way it's going. The way it's going. I think, yeah, I think you and I both agree he's already the greatest midfielder. I think I think in terms of he's got a long way to go for Omri though, because Omri was in ridiculous. So yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, in terms of midfield, he does, you know, overshoot, overshone. Who was it? Lampard, Gerard, and Scholes is the debate. People, people always just not like it because it's City, but he is. He is. Even so. if he doesn't matter what shirt he's wearing, he's the best. I think so. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's a topic for a totally different podcast yes, episode. Maybe I think because so. um, people obviously talk about City, and that's fine. Let's not forget what he did in Belgium and in Germany um, as well. And so what annoys me when people are like, oh, but. Could he do it with a worse team? Well, he, he, couldn't has. Do it he couldn't do it at an international level. Well, England were crap with them three. So yeah, exactly. So and also, it's... also he can. He's this. This is another. I'm going going off a tangent here. He's very good for Belgium. Like they got third in 2018, and in 2020 they were very good. Only got knocked out by Italy. And yeah, he wasn't very good in the last World Cup, but he was the best Belgian player on the pitch against Croatia. And if Mertens and Lukaku didn't miss three or four sitters. Then it would have been Belgium qualified. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's my De Bruyne half rant. Uh, We do have a question for Nobgas. I did ask the Nob, but it's very late. So I I, I apologize. We only have a couple of questions. But guys, if you enjoy these podcasts and you want to support us, and if you also want to get something back, you can support the podcast directly on Patreon. The link is going to be in the show notes and video description uh, of every single YouTube video. But it's also in the show notes. you can join for £3 a month. As I say, you get to support and submit your fun questions and top five uh, things for our uh, debate videos, etc. Uh, yes, so Will asks, and this is about Walker actually, is Walker's defensive skill set being exposed this season with time finally catching up to him, resulting in not being able to run his speed in defensive situations anymore? Fullbacks such as uh, Aspilicueta, Evra, Trippier have seemed to manage ageing much better than Walker, less dependent on their Speed, I don't even know if the issue is is one of declining speeds. Um, it, it's, it's, I've, it's just decision-making, really. It's just the that side of his game. Like, with the way City play, they don't have that. You know, like most teams, they have that, the wingers give them cover. City don't really play that way, do they? They're a bit, they don't really have that out and out wingers who help the fullbacks and they're both going up and down the wings. So he does, it is one of these like one-on-one defending. When you look at the opposite side, Vardiol does it absolutely fine. Mm. But Walker seems to be struggling. Vardiol's quick, but he isn't Walker quick and he's capable. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's, I'm, I'm sure he has, you know, quote, lost a yard of pace or whatever, but that's not even really been the issue. Like the issue, ha- it's not like, you know, he's been being burnt for pace by all these uh, players on a consistent basis. I, I I would still 
if we play Real Madrid, you know, tomorrow, I'd still probably back him to do a really good job of locking up Vinicius Jr. Because those are the sorts of battles where he thrives in because yeah. he gets to defend space rather than actually the player. Like Vinicius Jr. is a player who wants to you know, knock the ball past you and run at you. He wants to make it a battle of pace and Walker's fine with that. It's when... It's more like these players, like, you know, Matoma, where they're focused more on, like, trying to Te- manipulate your body. Basically, move move you about. Yeah, you know, like, Walker's... Make no- you, just spin you in circles. Yeah. yeah, like, Walker's quick, but he's not quick from a, from a you know, a, a mobility perspective, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that's been the issue. Like, I've seen it against Spurs, I've seen, and we saw it against Newcastle. Like, if, if, like, players can, like, force him to move around, he just doesn't really seem to know what to do. Um so maybe that's been a bit more exposed and, but even in the past, like normally he's just like go in for it and at least put a foot in or, you know, like get a block in or, or whatever, or, or send the player down the byline on their weaker foot rather than letting them cut in yeah. on their stronger right. And I've, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think, I think Gask is right. It's more of a decision-making issue. Yeah. More of a mental thing than a physical thing, if, if anything. Yeah. Um, obviously there's going to be physical declines with aging, but it does seem to be a bit more of a a, a mental attribute with, with Walker. I'm not not 100 sure what's going on there. Hopefully, for his sake, he can sort it out. But he needs to switch up ASAP. Otherwise, oh, I've already said many times I wouldn't have him in my starting eleven anymore because he's just not good enough. I'd rather have a if everyone's fit. I want a Kanji there, to be honest. Um, now, there's also a question from Kante. He says, thoughts on Blackburn's problem with finance? I have no thoughts on Blackburn. Yeah, uh, enlighten me. <laughs> Kante. Um, it, uh, I'm guessing they're in the financial... Di- uh, is it, I don't know, is it a trading situation? Maybe, I yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, again, that's probably like, a, you could probably have a whole topic about like the whole issue of the financial impact upon like, you know, cha- championship sides. There's a lot um, of clubs in there that are struggling at the moment. And all that stuff, yeah. So... And obviously, yeah. you know, uh, the, the profit and sustainability regulations, I think this morning did it break that both Everton and Forrest have been well, yeah, hit it's again. Just, it's just broke through now that they have yeah. breached, confirmed. Yeah. yeah, and they've admitted it as well. So Everton a second time. Will there be another point deduction this season or next? Forrest as well. Again, maybe FFP is another talk for another day, but it, it's, it is a flawed system, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, on that... Uh, Gasky, anything else to say before we finalise or any um, wise words? The thing I want on? to say is uh, it's good to be back and hopefully I can have some positive uh, podcasts in the coming months. Yeah. And you know, have to come in some games. Indeed. Absolutely. Uh, guys, thank you so much for uh, waiting for us. Uh, re- we really hope you've enjoyed that and thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, what you need to do is make sure you follow the podcast so you all stay updated. Make sure if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, make sure to scroll up and click follow so you all stay updated for whenever we release a podcast episode for your listening pleasure. Until next time, um, Gasky's been Gasky. Nobbins has been Nobbins. And uh, you'll listen to us next time. Goodbye, guys. <laughs>